0: Friends, if you could turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, I'm going to be reading through to verse 16. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how, how corrupted the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. And if you could turn with me again to Genesis chapter 6. Uh, The reading will continue starting at verse 17 and through to verse 22. Let's hear again from God's word. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Friends, as we take a class look at God's word together, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we um, put our trust in you to safely bring us home. And as we now look at uh, this incredible passage of scripture uh, where you uh, take Noah safely through. We pray, Father, that you would um, make alive this um, well-known passage to us so that we might know you better and show you better in our lives. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This is the account of Noah. And friends, with that short introduction, we begin the longest account, the longest story in this section of Genesis by far. The world's creation gets one chapter. Adam and Eve and their fall get two. But having first been introduced to him a couple of weeks ago, Noah and his story is going to dominate until we finally leave him at the end of chapter 9. And in this we see who this man was and what God did through him. is clearly something that Moses, our inspired author, wants us to take serious note of. And friends, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to see why. Because a judgment from God is coming. A judgment that is going to see mankind completely wiped out. Washed away thanks to their utter corruption, initiated as we saw last week by Satan and his cohort of rebellious angels. Having fallen in with them, everyone will soon be gone. All that is except for one. For Noah chapter 6 verse 8 found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Friends, that observation concerning this man will now set in motion a story of survival. Survival through what is no less than a decreation and recreation of the entire world. Indeed, friends, this coming cataclysm is going to take us all the way back to the dark, watery chaos we read about in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Now, reflecting on Noah making it through this divine extinction event, preacher and author Dr Richard Phillips says, Noah in many ways is to be understood as a second Adam, as it's going to be through him and his family that God will start over with. And friends, while the, the secular non-believing world scoffs at this, their derision has to ignore not only these chapters in the Bible, but the testimony of different people groups the world over. Because wherever you turn, whether it be the ancient writings of Asia, Africa, the Americas, you will find accounts that testify to a worldwide flood survived by a small group of people. Even the Dreamtime stories of the indigenous people here in Australia speak of this event. How is this shared memory possible? Well, all manner of reasons and excuses are put forward. But when fossils of shells and fish are found on the tops of mountains, these excuses really do hit a brick wall a thinking of sinful man's rejection of this past cataclysm and the reasons for it, the Apostle Peter writes this. Have a listen. Understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By this same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Our friends, the refusal to accept, learn from, and heed the lessons of the flood is, as Peter so helpfully points out, not an evidence problem, but a heart problem. And with that truth in mind, let's now take a close look at the start of this fascinating account that our hearts might be softened, instructed, and taught by this one who found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Cast your eyes down to the second half of verse 9, where Moses tells us specifically why God looked upon Noah in such a light. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now, friends, speaking of heart conditions, this report sounds like Noah's ticker never skipped a beat, doesn't it? I mean, look again at his results having been surveyed, having been x-rayed by the eyes of the Holy One who knows all and sees all. Noah was righteous and blameless. Now, friends, what are we to make of such a report as this? Has Noah caught God's eye because he was perfect? His heart never erred, his eyes never strayed? Is that why he is chosen from all humanity to make it through this worldwide judgment? My friends, we really need to have a clear read on Noah's verse 9 readout. Because how one finds favour in the eyes of our maker is the most important question for us to answer during our time on earth. And as I considered considered and pondered this during the week, a verse from the Apostle Paul immediately came to mind. In chapter 3 of his letter to the Romans, he says this to them. Have a listen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And friends, there is not a whole lot of wiggle room in that statement, is there? And as Noah is not marked out as an exception, we can safely conclude at a starting point that he had definitely not achieved some sort of sinless perfection. Noah's heart had definitely erred. His eyes most certainly had strayed. Noah was a sinner just like the rest of us. But if that's the case, how is it that Noah's many blemishes don't show up in his verse 9 report? What exactly is this righteousness that God observes concerning Noah? Well, a few chapters on in Genesis we are introduced to another man who is also looked upon by God in a very similar light. His name, Abraham. Here's the situation. With no children yet born to him, thanks to his and Sarah's exceedingly old age, Abraham is struggling. And so God comes to him and tells him to go for an evening walk. And once out in the darkness, God says to him, Look up at the heavens, Abraham, and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And having looked up and seeing the millions of twinkling lights, God then promises Abraham, Genesis 15 and verse 5, so shall your offspring be. Abraham's response, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, friends, having heard this, we might think, well, that's nice for Abraham. But can we really base an entire theology of such an important thing as righteousness before God on this one little interaction? Good question. And friends, Paul answers it centuries later in a letter to a group who are struggling with this very topic. Galatians 3 and verse 6, have a listen. Paul says, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that it is those who believe who are children of Abraham. In other words, this short interaction is the interaction that informs not just Abraham but all humanity how one is found righteous in God's sight. Faith, belief in God and his word is the key to the righteousness lock. Now this all culminates in believing God's word about his son. Have a listen. The words that was credited to him were written not for Abraham alone, but also for those whom God will credit righteousness who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now friends, this assurance that righteousness comes through faith, specifically faith in the life, death and resurrection of Christ, was the key for a very earnest but troubled monk who kicked off the reformation. Have a listen to how Martin Luther describes the moment when the penny finally dropped for him. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience. I had no confidence at all that my merit would appease him. Night and day I struggled until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the righteous shall live by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. Before the justice of God had filled me with hate, Now it became to me inexpressibly sweet. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Now friends, as we read about Luther's starry sky Abraham moment, the question of course is have you had this moment yourself? What is your status before God as you sit here this morning? I don't have to tell you of the struggle that you are having if you are basing this status on yourself and your efforts and deeds. But when, like Abraham, like Luther, you base it on God's deeds, what he has promised to do for you and has done, different story. And friends, that's the story of the Bible. God promised way back in Genesis 3.15 to do something about our fallen, helpless, sinful state. And that promise was fulfilled by Christ, his life, death and resurrection. If you believe that God kept his word about this, then no matter what you think of yourself, God promises that you are righteous and blameless in his sight. But friends, that's not the only thing this faith in God and his word does for you, in you. No, faith in God and his promises is also the agent for change, real change. Now look again how this is expressed for Noah. Noah. He walks with God. In other words, Noah's firm belief that God was going to have his way in his world was what got him up in the morning and then saw him act and live so differently to the rebellious world around him. Faith was the horse that drove Noah's cart Drove him to track a different course to literally everybody else on the earth. You know, much is written about the connection between faith and works. But honestly, friends, it's not complicated. Indeed, faith guides our actions throughout the day from the moment we hit that switch in the morning expecting the light to come on. That's why James says, faith without deeds is dead. That statement is no big revelation. If you told me you had faith your car will get you home after the service, but then I see you walking to your house, don't be surprised next time we chat. I question you about that. Because a declaration of faith is always proven true or false by what we do Or don't do. And so it is with Noah, the one who jumped on board with God because he trusted in him and only him to get him from A to B in this life. But friends, as we know, Noah's faith is about to be put to the ultimate test. It all begins with God letting him in on what's coming. Verse 11, have another look at it. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Now, friends, as Noah hears of this coming judgment and waits for his instructions concerning it, as I mentioned earlier, echoes of these verses are found the world over. But what I didn't mention is there is one key difference between all of those stories and the biblical account, and that is these other stories present the problem on earth very, very differently. Indeed, the common thread among many of these accounts is that God, the gods can't stand how noisy and populated the earth has become. And so they simply resolve to wipe us out. And Friends, as I read of, upon this during the week, I couldn't help thinking that there is nothing new under the sun. Because something very similar is preached today, isn't it? The world would be beautiful and the world would be in perfect balance if not for human habitation. Friends, the the ancient pagan religion is all pervasive today. We are a noisy, disruptive presence on the earth and so we have to do this and we have to do that. Indeed, depopulate to save the earth. But friends, as this philosophy is relentlessly pushed, we need to remember the problem down here as it was in the days of Noah is not our response to the creation, but our response to the creator. The solution, not bowing to Mother Earth, but before our Father God. And friends, to do so before the biggest climate change event of all time hits, fire. Because as we read before, that is what this present world is reserved for. Now how often do we think about that as we go about our daily lives? How often is this truth about what's coming factored in to our decisions and actions? How aware are we that one day our life is going to be tested by this coming fire and every decision made, every faithful act will make it through the flames while everything done for other reasons, worldly selfish reasons is going to go up in smoke Now, friends, as we think upon what we are building as we await that day, let's return to our text because God has a building project for Noah to see him through. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground, will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Friends, just reading the scale again of what is set before Noah to survive this judgment takes my breath away. So how does the man tasked with the actual job respond? Well, it's right there, isn't it, in verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So no questions, Noah? No ifs or buts? Well, not according to verse 22. Now Abraham, who we talked about before, struggled to trust God's word until that starry moment. Moses, our author, when given the nod at the burning bush, pleaded with God to choose anyone but him to go to Egypt. But no such struggle is recorded when it comes to Noah. No, despite the massive task set before him, a task once begun that would have made him the laughing stock of the world. Well, Noah simply didn't care. He just got on with the job. Listen to how the writer to the Hebrews captures the spirit of this man. By faith, Noah, when divinely warned about things not yet seen, in reverent fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. My friends, what a beautiful summary of Noah's true legacy. This grandfather from whom we all come may have been a great and gifted craftsman, a can-do motivated leader, a devoted husband and father. But the thing that made the difference, the turning point, the thing that saw him saved was Noah's simple faith. And so Noah walked with the God he trusted in until he entered the ark he was told to make. And God starts again with him. But friends, as we mentioned before, this new start is now long in the tooth. The world once more has become like the days of Noah. And so once more, another day has been set. If Noah was able to speak to us this morning concerning this, what would he say? Of course, I'm only guessing, but having got to know him a little better this morning, I reckon his advice would go something like this. Listen to and follow the promises of God, the promise-keeping God. If the world mocks you for this, let it mock on. Don't be discouraged and don't drop your eyes from him. Because as he promised a way through the waters for me, he has promised a way through the flames for you. So many verses speak directly to this. But here's a good one to kick you off. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we stand in awe, but ultimately not in awe of Noah, but in awe of you, the wonderful, holy, perfect God who promises to credit righteousness to our account through simple trust and faith in you. I say simple, Lord, not because we find it simple, But, Lord, because there is no other way to find righteousness and it is found by trusting in you, the promise-keeping God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of this story here and the ongoing testimony that culminates in the promised Christ who came, lived, died, rose again and now is seated at your right hand interceding for us. What a promise. What a wonderful truth. Heavenly Father, help us by your spirit to stick to that like Noah stuck to you. We need your help, Lord. Help us to continue in a faith that follows you all the days of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.